Good morning. Just leave that up there for the Zabos to peer at this morning. Never mind, I don't want to cause you to stumble. (laughs) Friendly rivalry, it is one of the hardest things uh, that I could ever say when I was in broadcasting. Rivalry week. That is a very difficult thing to say in college football, of course. Um, Yesterday, of course, being my birthday, Ohio State gave me a wonderful gift of beating Michigan. So um, I'll be satisfied for another year until we do it again. For the seventh time in a row. <clears throat> um, this, uh, this week we are looking at 1 Peter, and if you saw the slide at the beginning, next week we'll be looking at 2 Peter. Um, and 1 Peter, as, as I mentioned last week, is very similar uh, to the book of James, which is what we covered last week. Um, Peter opens up his um, letter here um, to the exiles, the elect exiles, and James opened up his letter in James chapter 1 to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So, very similar audiences, very similar problems, because they're being written about the same time. James, of course, was an elder in the church in Jerusalem, and it's well believed that Peter also was very involved with the church in Jerusalem uh, as the apostles, um, one of the apostles, one of the many apostles who stayed behind uh, in that area to lead the church. Um, and so <clears throat> we have two men uh, very involved in, in uh, the Jerusalem church, the Jewish converts, both writing to Jewish converts who had dispersed, who had gone out and are now struggling with something. And so piggybacking off of our study last week of James 1, we're going to see a similar instruction and encouragement to these dispersed Christians to have joy Perhaps they were struggling with finding joy in the current situation that they found themselves in, being dispersed, being away from their homes, being in new areas of the world, um, trying to fit in or learn new cultures, new languages maybe, um, but still trying to have faith in all of that. And so the joy that we're talking about this morning is one of the many blessings that are available to the elect, to the chosen of God. And it's a very special kind of joy. Now, when we say the chosen, when we say the exiles, of course, uh, or the elect, rather, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter explains who those chosen are, who the chosen are, right? In verse, um, in verse 3, he says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Okay, earlier on in verse uh, 2, he says, In the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The, uh, the chosen are not just a group of people who God has chosen to receive this wonderful blessing that He has bestowed upon mankind, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is available to all. And all who accept Jesus, all who believe in Jesus, all who obey Him, they are God's chosen, because they are sanctified by His blood. They are set apart. They are made holy, and that is the elect. And so when we talk about the elect, those who are Christians, those sitting here this morning, who have obeyed the commands of Christ and become Christians, that is the audience. We are the elect, and we are, too, dispersed, right? We are the Christians that meet in Loveland, but there are Christians who meet 
elsewhere. There are Christians who meet in Columbus. There are even Christians who meet in Ann Arbor. There are Christians everywhere. So one of the many blessings that are available to the chosen is joy. And it's a very special kind of joy. And for reasons that we're going to see in our lesson this morning, Christians are able to greatly rejoice. And literally the word in the Greek there means jump for joy. Leap for joy. In 1 Peter 1 verse 6. This joy for the elect gives us access to a joy that is inexpressible, that is full of glory, verse 8 says. It's a joy so great, it's so glorious that we cannot express it ever truly encompass it with words. Now, as we go through this study, and and I say those things, I want you to reflect on your own life and think about, do I have that joy in my life? Do I wake up in the morning and do I leap for joy because of these things? Because of what Peter tells us? Do I have this joy in my heart and in my life? And so in our lesson this morning, I want to focus our attention on verses 6 through 9 concerning this inexpressible joy. And we're going to touch on some of the other things as well, kind of to set the, set the stage for this. Now in verse 6, I want you to notice that Peter starts out by saying, In this you greatly rejoice. In this you rejoice. He is referring to those things which serve as the basis for our inexpressible joy. There are past things that are the basis for this. We have been set apart by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, verse 2. Also in verse 2 it says, we've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We have been born again to a living hope, he says in verse 3. Those are the things that have happened in the past that give us reason to rejoice. There are things that are happening now in the present that gives us reason for rejoicing. Again, we are God's chosen We are God's elect. We are part of an exclusive group. That's not just something that happened in the past. That's when we were added to the group that we can rejoice about. But now we are a part of it. And then in verse 5 it says we are being kept by the power of God through faith. So not only are there past grounds for rejoicing and present grounds, of course there has to be future grounds for rejoicing as well. Verse 4 says, we have an inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. And verse uh, 5 and verse 9 both touch on the salvation that we are striving for. The goal at the end. All of these blessings, past, present, and future, they serve as a basis for inexpressible joy. Because of them, we can greatly rejoice. Exactly how great, though, is this joy? In verses 6 through 7, Peter explains this. He explains the exceeding greatness of this joy. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, he says, Though now for a little while, it is, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Sound familiar? It's what we talked about last week. When you meet trials of many kinds, this greatness of joy enables us to rejoice even in trial. No matter what degree of suffering one may experience, in Christ there is joy to match it. And Peter explains this later on in his letter, in verse, or chapter 4, verses 12-13. through 13. 
He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. You see, Peter speaks on this topic from experience. And we have the record of this experience in Acts chapter 5. And elsewhere as well. But in Acts chapter 5, as he and some other apostles were beaten and berated by the Jewish council for preaching Christ crucified, verse 41 of chapter 5 of Acts says, They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Verse 42, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They were beaten, they were flogged publicly, humiliated, and they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem normal, does it? That doesn't seem like a normal human reaction to being beaten publicly and humiliated publicly amongst your peers and possibly even your family members. But nonetheless, they had great joy. How can Christians find joy in trials? How can we find this inexpressible joy when our hearts are ripped in two? When we feel like there's nothing left? When we feel like there is no hope except death? And let me tell you, if you are a Christian, death is a hope. It's not something to be feared, but something to strive for and long for, because that's when that's when eternity comes. You've heard the phrase, come Lord Jesus, right? Sometimes that's all we can pray. When we're feeling like we're going through the roughest times in our lives, we just may think, Jesus, come back now. Take me home. But sometimes the answer to that prayer is no. Because we have to persevere. We have to get over that mountain that has been placed in our way. When, if we have faith as big as a mustard seed, we can tell that mountain to move from here to there. But if God desires that mountain to be there because He wants you to climb it and grow from it, gain strength and endurance so that you can face future trials, then that's what you should do. See, informed Christians... Understand that the purifying nature of these trials that Peter says in verse 7, he says, uh, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith that is more precious than gold. Why is it more precious than gold? Peter says, because gold perishes. Because you can put gold in a fire and it melts down. And I don't know, I'm getting into chemical properties here and this is not my forte, but it seems like it burns up, goes away. Am I right, chemists? Can you burn up gold if it gets hot enough, maybe? Yes, okay. Yes. Paul points to this as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. He says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us 
for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, the things that we see here, this building, the pews, the people, all these things will pass away. All of these things can turn to dust in a flash. Think about the Church of Christ in Paradise, California that was leveled by the fires out there. There's not even a remnant of the building, except for the sign, because it was made of stone. There is this, the sign still stands, and in fact, the building right next to the church didn't even get touched. But that building was gone in a second. Okay, probably longer than a second, but it was gone, turned to dust. Our money, our fortunes, our wealth, the things that we've accumulated in this, in this life, when we die, we don't get to take them with us. I saw a story not, not too long ago of a man, a millionaire, who actually had himself buried, his coffin, they had a picture of him in his coffin, stuffed with money. I don't remember the total, but it was in the millions of dollars in cash that he had stuffed in his casket, and he said in his will that he wanted it there so that he could bribe God when he got to heaven. Ah, this is going to be a sad day for him when he realizes that ain't happening. Because just like the body will decompose and be eaten up, so too will that money. And so too will the things in this world. They are transient, Paul says. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, of course, knowing what trials can produce, as we talked about last week, trials produce steadfastness, endurance. It is possible to be joyful in trials. Right? James 1, Romans 5 covers all of that. What kind of trials, though, is Peter talking about? Now, the word various, as in uh, with, uh, with James last week, it includes all kinds, right? All kinds of trials. But it seems that primarily what Peter is touching on here are the trials that come as a result uh, of living for Christ. And consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 in the, in the Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely on my, name, or on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, when you read through the Beatitudes, Jesus takes one line, Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those... But when he gets to persecution, he takes up a few extra verses. He takes a little bit extra time to encourage them that in persecution you are blessed, that you should rejoice and be glad because our reward is in heaven, because the things of this earth, including persecution, will pass away. The things of this earth, things like cancer and illness and, 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 uh, and being poor or, or being rich, all of those things are going to go away. Because in heaven there are no tears. There are no trials. There are none of that. While we should rejoice in the persecutions, we can also rejoice in the, in the everyday afflictions of life. Things like sickness, heartbreak, frustration, approaching death, losing a job, all of those things. We can find joy in that if we are in Christ because Christ 
is our ultimate joy. Because remember, those things, just like persecution, provide an opportunity to test our faith, to test our hope and love and patience. And remember, as we talked last week, these trials of various kinds work to either stretch our faith and strengthen it, or they work to break our faith. If one is able to rejoice even in the midst of trials, surely they have a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, as, Paul, as Peter says. But how can Christians be sure to possess this joy? How can we be sure that we have this? Because we have to admit that not everyone does. I struggle with it. I'm sure we all struggle with this. In verse 8, Peter alludes to two things which I suggest are necessary to possessing this inexpressible joy. Oops. The first is that we must love Jesus. We must love Jesus. Verse 8 says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Jesus is the ultimate source for being able to rejoice in all things. Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's a song that fits that. He has promised that if we truly love Him, He and His Father will be with us. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and will come to Him and make our home with Him. Or we will come to Him and make our home with Him. If Jesus is with us, we can receive that joy which is inexpressible. John 15, verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Not just a little joy, full of joy. Or the other word, joyful. (laughs) See how that works? Full of joy, joyful. John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is our hope. That is our joy. And that the trials that we are, over, that, that we are facing in these days, in these times, don't matter. Because Jesus has overcome. Jesus has already won. See, we have, and we're about to get into Revelation in a few weeks. And I have to admit, it's a daunting task to have to preach on Revelation. It's not something that many people do, but it's something, nonetheless, that we need to learn from. Because in Revelation, we learn the ending of the story. We learn who wins. Anybody ever seen Back to the Future? Marty goes back to the future, finds this almanac that has all the sports scores and everything like that. Of course, Biff gets a hold of it, right? He has all the answers. He knows who wins the World Series. We know who wins in the end. And this is just a big baseball game, right? Because God created us in the beginning. Thank you. Be here all the rest of the hour. Or if I take a cue from Paul till midnight. Just kidding. Um, so, when we look at this, of course, we have to love Jesus. 
How can we love Jesus if we've never seen Him? Well, Paul, or Peter says that we can do that. The early Christians were doing that. And I would say that if you can't do that, perhaps it's time to reevaluate your faith in Christ. Because you can't obey Christ, you can't accept the sacrifice that He gave without loving Him. And loving that gift that He gave. But there are other ways that we can come to love Him, though we have not seen Him. And that's through study. Through studying the Old Testament with its prophecies of the Messiah. Through studying the Gospels with their description of His life, His teachings, His compassion, His suffering, His death, and the glorious resurrection. We can do this through studying the Acts of the Apostles with its action-packed portrayal of the Lord walking together with His church and the, the early trials that that early church faced and the, how they overcame. We can learn to love Jesus through the epistles where we learn of the many blessings that are found in Christ and of His ministry as high priest interceding on our behalf. And of course, we can come to love Jesus, yes, even through the revelation in which we learn of the glorious victory to be won by the Lamb and His followers. Not only should we love Jesus, but to possess this inexpressible joy, we must also believe in Jesus. Also in verse 8, he says, Though now you do not see Him, yet you believe. Through believing in Jesus, we can rejoice with inexpressible joy and full of glory. But this faith is much more than just an increase in knowledge of Jesus. It involves the key element of faith itself, which is trust. We have to trust that He will do as He says. We have to trust that this book that has been inspired for us is the beginning and the end. We have to believe that what Revelation says is true so that we have that hope. We can have that joy. Because if we have any doubt that Christ will not come back, if we have any doubt that, that Christ doesn't win in the end, then what is your hope in? If Jesus doesn't win in the end, if we don't have revelation, if we don't know the ending of the story, where is our hope? Because the hope is in the overcoming of the world. The hope is in the eternal salvation that verse 9 says. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Belief in Jesus involves this element of faith. Trusting in His commands to be for our ultimate good. Trusting in His promises to be fulfilled. It's the kind of trust that prompts us to obey Jesus with all of our heart. It's the kind of faith that comes from the Word of God. Romans 10 verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. It's where faith comes from. And if we're not reading and studying our Bibles, are we building our faith or are we weakening it? When we have this kind of faith in Jesus and when we truly love Him with our whole being, a blessing that we receive is that joy inexpressible. It's a joy that is full of glory. It's a blessing that can sustain us until we reach the end goal of our faith, which is salvation. I have some friends that are 
part of different faith beliefs or denominations and I see some of the things that they post on Facebook and and social media sites and boy, they are full of joy. But sometimes I feel like we don't have it enough or maybe we just don't show it enough. We're supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the thing that gives the earth flavor, that preserves the world. And being the light of the earth I think means that we need to show that joy. People need to see that joy exuding from us. Why is this person so joyful? It's because we know how it ends. Why is this person so joyful? Because they got passed over for a promotion for someone who is unqualified, who is less qualified than this person is. Why are they joyful? Because they know that that doesn't matter. They know that that's not the end all be all. See, this inexpressible joy is based upon all of those blessings, past, present, and future. Things that we should be reflecting on regularly, not just on Sunday mornings. It enables us to joyfully persevere through all kinds of trials that we face in this life, be it physical, mental, or spiritual. But again, this blessing is only for those who truly love Jesus and believe in Him. Do you love Jesus? If you do, will you keep His commandments? So Jesus asks in John chapter 14, verses 15 and 23, Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, will you do what He says? Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Parents, you've probably asked that same question of your children. If you believe, you will do what He says. Are there commandments of Jesus that you have not yet obeyed? If so, then why not obey them today? So that this inexpressible joy can be yours as well. If we can assist you this morning in any way, won't you come forward now while we stand and sing?